we continue to as we continue to worship our passage is going to be Acts chapter 13 uh, verses 42 through 52 and for today when we get to verse 48 I'm going to ask 48 and on uh, that everybody read together okay the verse is going to be on the screen so you, with a loud voice uh, you guys join me verse 42 as they were leaving the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to, to, to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. We are turning to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. Here we go. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord. And all who have been appointed to eternal life believe. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing woman and the leading man of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went into Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you for the opportunity to come to gather this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, that the gospel has come to us. Lord God, uh, scripture says, us Gentiles, has been made known to us. So as we worship today, God, as we continue to um, dig into your word. May, you, may your Holy Spirit just be with our pastor, just speak through him, Lord, open our hearts, Lord, open our, our ears to hear, open our ears to be obedient, Lord. And so, Lord, we trust you this morning. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Several years ago, I was in a church, and I think that you might would consider um, it kind of broke out in a revival. The church started growing really quickly. A lot of people were getting saved. People were getting baptized. People were getting discipled. I mean, everything that we would consider to be a revival was happening in the church. And so as a result, we had to move from the little sanctuary we were in. We had to convert the gym, the gymnasium, into a worship center. And the little church that was, you know, 50 people went to 100, 150 to 200 people. And I never will forget the first time that we had like we had 13 people that had made, most of them were adults, some of them were teenagers, and they had made first-time professions of faith in Christ, and they were getting baptized. 13 people, big deal for a little country church. Now, I never will forget, after it was all over with, one of the um, older women in the church said, yeah, but look who's getting baptized. And then one of the other older women in the church said, yeah, you know, I liked it better, you know, because they, they considered the gymnasium where all the kids play, they considered that, they called it the romp room. 
and we were having church in the romp room. And so one of the elderly women in the church said, you know, I don't really like having church out here in the romp room. I liked it better when we were back in the little sanctuary where I knew everybody because out here I don't know half the people out here. And so that was on the hills of what many people would consider to be a revival. God doing great things in a church. And then church people within the church, this isn't coming from outside the church, church people from within the church were complaining about all the people that were getting baptized, you know, because they weren't quite what they thought they should be, should, we should be getting in the church, and that we're out here having church in the romp room instead of in the sanctuary, and I don't know half these people, you know, this is just not church. So here's what happens. You preach the gospel. Paul's preached the gospel. We'll go back and kind of look at what he's preached here. Great things happen, but then there's always, it's like when the fires of revival get stirred up, it's like the devil stirs up his fires to come and fight against the revival. There's always opposition, and to some degree or another, there's, they, they, they experience real persecution. We think we got persecution here, but it's not real compared to like what real persecution is in other areas of our world today. But then when the true gospel is there and there's true conversion, the ending result is always for those that are in Christ, that little word there at the end, and it's joy. Let's look at it. Let's, let's, look at the, let's go all the way back to Acts chapter 1, and let's look at the thesis statement of Acts chapter 1, because we're seeing this fulfilled in our text today. Jesus told the disciples, said, you will, but you will. It didn't, you might, then say you might, then say you can. It says you will. This is definite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will, once again, definitely, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It spreads out to Judea, spreads out to Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that's what we see happening in our text this morning, is that it's getting to the ends of the earth. This is Paul preaching his first, the Apostle Paul preaching his first sermon and it is a mixed group. It's in a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, but there is, there is people, there's, Jew, there's Gentiles that have converted to Judaism because they believed that in order for a person to be saved, that you had to enter through Judaism, even to be saved in Christ Jesus, you had to first become Jewish, then you could be saved by the Messiah. But see, here's the thing. Most of us in here, we don't understand that word saved like they understood it. You understand saved in the East Texas 2021 version of being saved, having Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That is not how they understood being saved. Now, Paul's going to get to the working out, the, what we talked about last week, the plan of salvation, which is a part of the overall gospel. Paul has preached the overall gospel to them of Jesus, okay? Here's what you have to understand. Saved to them was covenantal, a covenant with God, and it was about a kingdom and a king. So whenever the Jewish people talked about being saved, they understood that, that you're, you're entering into our kingdom under our king. And that, that's how you're saved by this covenant relationship with God because you're in our kingdom. It wasn't a personal thing with them. It was that because you're Jewish. Because if you want to convert to Judaism, you're, you're becoming one of us. So now you, we would consider you to be saved. So you have to understand that this morning as we're reading this text, and, and Paul's talking about salvation but the way they're understanding salvation and the way you and I understand salvation, there's a little bit of a gap between the two. And so this gets kind of confusing to us. So if we can just kind of flesh this out and understand what they meant by being saved and then what 
we understand the biblical truth of salvation in Christ Jesus, it'll kind of help bridge the gap here, and we'll get a little clearer understanding of the conflict that happens in this story. So I want you to be thinking about a kingdom, okay? So this morning, let's, 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 let's kind of put the personal Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, that whole terminology, which that's true, let's put that to the side, and let's think about king and kingdom, okay? Jesus is the king of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, however you want to put it. He's the king. And so whenever I enter under his kingdom authority, I'm entering into his kingdom. His kingdom is not a physical location. So you've got over 100 times in the New Testament, it talks about in Christ Jesus, and that's speaking of salvation, because when you enter into Christ Jesus, you enter into the kingdom of God. So when you come under, you bring your life, I'm asking you today, have you brought your life under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus? Does he reign and rule over every aspect of your life, or are you just making him a little part of your life, you think, by making him your Lord and Savior just to get you to heaven, to punch your ticket to say, I'm going to get to heaven someday? That's not how they understood this. And I would challenge you to, to, to step back and let's, let's stop thinking about putting Jesus in one little bitty part of my heart, and let's think about bringing my whole life under his kingdom authority rule, and it'll change your whole perspective about salvation and what it means to be saved and about eternal life, not just something you obtain there and then, but something you experience here and now. So let's, let's go back, backtrack just a little bit. Look at, the, look at the sermon that Paul has preached, kind of hit the highlights to understand. Look at him talking about kingdom. Think about it, king, kingdom perspective. Because the nation of Israel, God had given them prophets, then they asked for a king because they want a king because they're in a kingdom. Okay? And God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king. So the Messiah comes from the lineage of David. They all knew that. That's what they were all looking for. When they studied the scriptures and they thought about their salvation, because you've got to understand something for the Jews, they understood their salvation was going to be deliverance from Roman, Roman oppression. This was going to be our salvation. And then our king, our Messiah, he's going to reign and rule over the whole earth. It's going to be all, I mean, it's going to, we're going to take over. The kingdom is going to take over. Whenever David was king, that's whenever the, the kingdom of Israel, that's when it was at its largest and most powerful point at, there, at that point. Man, they had subdued all their enemies. So that's what they were looking for the Messiah to do, just like David did. From this man, sticking to David, this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. So there's that. There's interesting because now Paul's kind of flipping it a little bit for them as he's not saying has brought a king. He didn't even use the word, he didn't even use the word Messiah, anointed one, which is, means king also. He used soterion right there, a Savior. So I was like, wait a minute, why would he say a Savior? So he's kind, of, he's kind of challenging what they think, just like I'm asking you to challenge the way you think about salvation. Let's kind of meet in the middle here and see if we can kind of understand a little bit better what this text means. God had fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, okay, so here's kingdom language right here. Second Psalm, you, so when the king would step off the throne and his son would take over, he would say, you are my son. Today I have become your father. I'm no longer your king. I'm now your father. Because now you're sitting on the throne. So he's using kingdom language right here. He's talking about Jesus when Paul is preaching his sermon in the synagogue. And they're all like, yeah, that's, that's messianic kingdom language. We like that. Therefore, he also says in another passage, 
You will not let your holy one, there's, there it is right there, your anointed one, your king, see decay. For David, that king there, that king David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, he died, he fell asleep, and he was buried with his fathers, but he decayed. So he can't be the Messiah. But the one God raised up, Jesus, King Jesus, he did not see decay. So the Apostle Paul is showing them from Scripture how Jesus fulfilled this kingdom, this messianic promises that was laid out before them that they talked about all the time. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, if you're going to live in the kingdom, he's going to be your king, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. So it's no longer, your sins are no longer going to be covered. They're going to be forgiven. And then he uses that amazing word, everyone who believes, because that's how you get in the kingdom, it's through faith. Everyone who believes, there it is, is justified. The first time we've got that recorded in a sermon in the Bible. Totally forgiven, right in God's sight. Just because you are under the king's authority, you're living in his kingdom. Now, in this kingdom, here's what happens. Automatically, you are justified. You are right in the sight of God. Your sins are no longer counted against you. So you are justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So let's get to our text right now. So after, as they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters of following Sabbath. Man, come back. We want to hear more about this king. We want to hear more about this kingdom. We want to hear more about what it means to live in this kingdom. This was exciting to them. This is what I would present to you. The Holy Spirit is stirring in them. The Holy Spirit is stirring and urging them and pulling them to what we understand as salvation. They are being saved, okay? After the synagogue had been dismissed, everybody's walking out the front doors of the synagogue. They're all going their way like they've done every Sabbath. Many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism, so we got Gentiles mixed in this, because you remember at Antioch, we've got about a population of about 10,000 people in this area. Whole bunch of different. This is a, isn't just Jewish people. There's Gentiles that have converted to Judaism. They, they converse with Judaism. They followed Paul and Barnabas. So, like when they're walking out, Paul and Barnabas are walking out. There's a whole big group of people walking out with them, following them. And because what does it mean to follow Christ? Does Christ, does Jesus use that kind of language in the Gospels? If you, if you take up your cross and follow after me, that's, that's, that's discipleship language. So they're following after. So don't just get it as a fact that like they're just kind of lingering behind them. They like what Paul and Barnabas is teaching, and now they're going to follow after not just them, but their teaching. Look at this. Paul and Barnabas, they were speaking with them, urging them to continue in the grace of God. See, because we understand now in our new covenant with Jesus that we're saved by grace. Can I show you something this morning? We talk about this all the time. And so I'm just, you know, you know our kids, when they are like 13 years old, they start studying algebra in school. And we will not teach them theology in church because we think they can't understand it. So I'm being like, so I'm going to show you something now that's going to be like, you may think, why is David showing us this? I don't really care. Well, let me show you something. I want you to understand this. This is vital to you understanding soteriology, the theology of salvation. Because here we've got one of our primary verses that we understand salvation in, and I want to show you why, how important this one word right here is. We 
don't grasp in our English language how important this word grace is. So when you're reading, so the Bible, the New Testament, was written originally in the language Greek, Greek language, okay? So in the Greek language, speaking of algebra and all that kind of stuff, it's, the, the, it's much like algebra. Word order tells you the value of the word, okay? Let me show you this in Greek. Ephesians 2.8.9, we talk about this verse all the time, okay? So I want to show you this. I've got this in charities, how you pronounce that. That really is the second word, okay? This right here, this doesn't even translate into English, okay? This is for, gar, for charity, for grace, okay? So the, the word right here that starts off like this is, when, when this thought begins, when Paul's writing out Ephesians 2.8, he's like, this is the predominant thing we're talking about. It's grace. Your salvation, predominantly, everything else that comes after this is all tied in to this word grace. For by grace, you are essay. And, and now, see, if you're reading, if you're reading um, Strong's Concordance or something like that, you know, and then you look at a Greek, some of y'all now, y'all can look at your Greek text and stuff like that, and you say, wait a second, this is sozo, but then when I'm reading the Greek text, what is that? What is this? Why, why is it that? This is salvation, sozo. Why have we got this big, long, this is a verb. Here's what I want to show you. Here's the word right here. It's right there. It's got a prefix, and it's got an ending right here, a case ending on it. So it totally changes what this verb means. What this means is, is that whenever they take this little bitty Greek word and they put all this stuff on this verb, what this means is, is that it's tying back in to grace. It's, this is explaining to us what grace is doing. So it's not just that grace saved you. It's that grace saved you and is saving you and will continue to save you. Here's the good part. So for by grace, by grace, you are saved, dia through, pistoan right here. Pistoan right here, this is faith. Faith is way down here. Now listen, don't, I don't want you to think all oh, faith isn't important. No, there's 150 verses in the New Testament that tell me something different. Faith is very important. So you're saved, by, for by grace, you are saved through faith. And this, kaitato, is not from you. And these, tauto, what are these? The faith and the grace. They're not from you. Thou, tau, daron, right here. God's gift. It's God's gift. See, we, now we got to, our English translator got to smooth all that out to make us work and read a little bit easier. But I mean, that's just a plain, simple fact of it right there. Not from works, ergon right here, uk ek ergon. Ergon is ergon, ergonomics, not from works. So that right here, so that no one can brag about it and make it all about themselves. There it is right there, that big long Greek word right there. It would take a sentence for us in English to not brag and make it all about me. Look at what I've done. So my whole point in showing you this is, where is the value in this sentence? Grace. You are for, by, if we mean by grace, literal translation, by grace. Everything flows from that grace right there, charity right there. So whenever Paul says, continue in the grace of God, that's the most important thing he's saying. When you go home, you walk your way, continue in the grace of God. <laughs> that's what we got to be doing, folks. How many of y'all are like, I don't need any grace from God? 
we, we, we recognize, I need that. I need that yesterday, I need that today, and I need that tomorrow. That is, that is the salvation right there. It's all based on the grace of God. So back to following Sabbath. Almost a whole town assembled to hear Paul preach. Doesn't say that. To hear the, the worship man. Didn't say that. To hear the word of the Lord. I sure hope this morning you did not come here to hear me preach. I sure hope this morning you didn't come here to hear the praise band. I sure hope you didn't come here today for a social event. I hope and I pray that you came here today to hear the word of the Lord. That is the most important part. Because now, listen, there is a revival breaking out. Word has gotten out about the king and the kingdom. And everybody can come into the kingdom through the king. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be good. You don't have to earn your way. It's by grace you come into this wonderful kingdom. Man, let's all, I want to hear that for myself. I want in this kingdom. Any of y'all remember back in 1995, the Brownsville Revival, Pensacola outpouring? Y'all remember that? Anybody? Two people are shaking their head. Okay, so there was a huge revival in Florida in 1995. It lasted for five years. You could go look it up on YouTube. There were people that would get in line to get in the church at 3.30 in the morning so they could get a seat at the 7 p.m. worship service. Four million people came through that church in those five years in that revival. All over the world. And how many empty churches do we have out through our, sprinkled through our little community this morning? And there was a hunger during that revival. There was a hunger, I would say, in this revival. People were excited. They were, listen, no doubt the synagogue could not hold all these people. And when they, when they showed up that, that Sabbath, and they looked out there, and I mean, there, there could have been thousands of people out there. They were like, whoa. Now look at what happens. But when the Jews, so this would be the ones who are in charge of running the synagogue. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with, oh, our translators get us right here, guys. They were filled with zealos, zeal. They were filled with zeal when they saw that. See, because the reason our translators can't put zeal in there is because you and I understand zeal is a good thing. Look at this. Here's where Paul uses this zeal loss right here. When he's talking in Galatians 1.14, he's talking about whenever he was in Judaism and he was a Pharisee. He said, I advanced in Judaism being beyond many of my contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Why was he, why were the Pharisees, why are they so zealous about their traditions? Because when they look back over their past, when they read what you and I consider to be the Old Testament story, the people of God, they would always try to go God's way, but then they would depart. They would rebel against God's way, and then they would think God would have to discipline them. They would cry out. They would repent, and then there would be a revival. They'd come back to God's way. They would start following God's word, God's law, and they would do good until they got away from God's word and God's law. So the Pharisees of Jesus' day were like, we're not going to repeat the mistakes of our ancestors. So they became sticklers about the law and following the law and sticking to the, the word of God and where they would not let anything get out of control. Anything that got kind of out of control, man, they would come down hard on it because they did not want to depart and be disciplined again. So that's why they were what we call legalistic about it, okay? Because they didn't want to fall back into the problems of the past. So when they saw this crowd show up because of Paul and Barnabas's sermon, 
about justification through faith alone, by Christ alone. You know what I mean? They were like, we're real okay with it, but then when they came back the next Sabbath and there's crowds, thousands of people, no doubt, out there, okay, they got to shut this down now. This is getting way out of control. We, we lack control, by the way. You know, if God's presence and power showed up in this room right now and everything got out of control, most of us wouldn't come back next Sunday. <laughs> Scare us to death. We think, man, they're weird down there. And they began to contradict this whole justification through faith alone and Christ alone. They contradicted what Paul was saying, insulting. And once again, that's kind of a weak word for us because we don't have a good equivalent. Here is blasphemo. You know what blasphemo means? It means to blaspheme. Jesus said that all sins under heaven can be forgiven except for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that will never be forgiven in this age and in the age to come. Blasphemy is a strong word. It doesn't just mean to insult somebody. It means not only just to insult them, but it means to degrade them in every possible way you can. Because if you can't destroy the message, you've got to destroy the messenger. Thank God our politicians don't ever do that. <laughs> Look at this. Here's, here's Jesus going back to his hometown where his ministry begins. He went to his hometown. He began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, and where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous? They're seeing the miraculous powers that he had. And they're like, where did this man get this? And I love this. <clears throat> Isn't this the carpenter's son? <clears throat> Isn't his mother called Mary? And then his brothers and James, Joseph, and Simon, and, and Judas, and his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? Because he can't be our king. Because I remember when he was just a little boy. And I know his brothers, and they're not so good. You know that, right? And Mary, she wasn't perfect either. You know that, right? So... And then, now, let me just inform you on something, because sometimes in small communities, people get to where they don't like each other. They gossip about each other. It happens in small communities. I know that's, that's, that may be shocking to y'all. <laughs> so they're in that small community, and people are gossiping, and they don't like them. And then, then all of a sudden, you know, you know, Jesus, their eldest son, goes off, and he comes back, and he's like doing this. Like, he's pretending like he's the Messiah. He's reading messianic texts in the synagogue, and he's pretending like he's the Messiah. And I'm like, wait a second. We know his family. He can't be our king. I don't want to be in his kingdom. And they were offended by him. How dare he do that? Hey, man, listen, somebody in there had to step back and go, how did he do that miracle? How did he teach that truth? Hey, wait, where was he born? Because I don't remember him being born here in Nazareth. Somebody had to be asking that question. Jesus said to them, please, I want you all to live your best life now and to like me and be real happy and smiley. <laughs> no, he said a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because, not because he was unable to, but because of their, because they did not want him to be their king. And if they don't want him to be their king, then they can't get into the kingdom. Paul and, Paul, here we go. Paul and Barnabas, they boldly replied, Man, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Remember, this is the Jews rejecting them. Since you rejected it, 
And you judged yourself. This is so powerful. You judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. Life under the king, in the kingdom. Remember that, okay? He's telling them right now, you just said you don't want to be in the kingdom. So they're not all going to sit back and go, that's that's, that's right, that's okay, that's fair. They're going to get offended even more by that. What do you mean we can't be in the kingdom? We can't be saved. We can't be in the kingdom. We can't have eternal life. Hey, you do realize something. That for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, who are under the king's authority, who are in the kingdom, you have more than getting to go to heaven when you die. That's great, and that's wonderful, full of glory. Thank God. But you have got heaven coming to you right here and right now. And, and listen, here's the thing about this. You know, we talk about grace, being saved by grace, how wonderful that grace is. But here's what you have to understand. Also, we've got to, we've got to put in with this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you're like, oh, I'm saved, I've been, doesn't really matter now, I don't have to do anything. No, 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 listen. If I'm really going to be regenerated, the Holy Spirit's working inside of me, I can't keep from doing something. The Holy Spirit's going to be urging me and driving me to do something. Because then it says, after that it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. He gives you the ability to work, and he gives you the will, the want to, to work. So I see salvation scripturally 100% coming from God. And that's the way that I would argue the scriptures show that too, man. This is 100% God from a biblical heavenly perspective, but then you flip it around, and from our perspective, man, we got to go all out 100% from our side too. Work it out, man. Go tell everybody to be saved. I mean, this is like, don't hold back anything. So now we're turning to the Gentiles. Look at this, John 3, 16. Y'all know that verse? Well, let's just go right after that verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name. Remember, always his name is talking about the authority, the name of the one and only son of God. So it's like Paul's telling them, you have condemned yourself. By not, I preach the gospel, and you condemned yourself by not believing the gospel, by not believing that Jesus is the king, and you're not wanting in the kingdom. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And right here, man, that really burned them up when he said that. Because now he's quoting scripture again, Isaiah 49, 6. And they don't want the light going to the world. They're like, no, we're going to have a political king, sets up his kingdom. We're going to overthrow and overrule everybody else. We're not going to be spreading the light to the whole world like, like this light of Jesus being the Savior. They didn't, that, was a, that was a problem for them. Are you, getting, are, you, are you tracking with me now, what we're talking about here? To bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Look at this. Go Sermon on the Mount. Y'all like Sermon on the Mount? Love Sermon on the Mount. Do you know what Sermon on the Mount, do you know how many times he says saved in there? You know how many times he uses the word soterion, soteria, soteria, whatever? Zero. Bastilia, kingdom, over and over and over again, he uses that word. Here's what it says right here. You're the light of the, doesn't say you're the light of the personal Lord and Savior Jesus. It says you're the light of the world. I mean, they, they saw it as something that was going out. Jesus, like, this is something going to the whole world. People coming to the king and the king of the whole world. And then he goes on, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Because somebody says it doesn't mean that they're changed and transformed. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's stirring and drawing and wooing them in, but only the one who has been transformed who does the will of my Father in heaven. Back to our text. When the Gentiles heard this man, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord. Are you kidding me, man? I mean, I can be in the kingdom. The Messiah can be my king. I mean, they were thrilled about this. They were honoring the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Don't reverse that. doesn't say all who believe were appointed to, to eternal life. It says, listen, the work of salvation is a work of God stirring. The regenerative work of God is him stirring and drawing us to himself. Listen, the gospel is offensive to us because the true biblical gospel, we want to think we've done the work. That I, I found God. That I went and I found God and I asked Jesus to come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior. Well, if there's no work of the Holy Spirit, then that person's not saved. There's got to be the regenerating work drawing us. The only way that I can, I can have faith because God gave me that faith. The only way I can repent is because God gave me the ability to repent. 100% God. No, it's 100% us. Both are right. There's a struggle between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Man, I have sat in Bible college and listened to hours and hours of people debating the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And you know who won? Nobody. So he says that they were appointed. They could not, this effectual call, they could not resist that they had to come in. Listen, if that makes you, gets you all sideways, wraps you all up, let me just show you a few more verses. John, here's Jesus speaking. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. You ain't going to find God. God found you. He stirred and drew you. And at the last day, I will rise him up. There's a resurrection. There's gospel right there. And then look at this. Here's the one who writes all of this stuff about the elect. Here's the one who preaches that sermon, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy. Look at what he says. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel? Isn't that the gospel we just read? That's why he just preached that first sermon. He always preached that same sermon, by the way. For which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Look at this. To this, this is why I endure all things for the elect. So that, so he's saying, man, I'll go to prison, I preach, I keep on preaching, I preach the gospel to everybody so that they also may obtain salvation. Wait a second, if they're elected and they're going to get saved anyway, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, no, I'm going to go preach to everybody. They've all got to hear the gospel. Then when anybody rejects the gospel, they condemn themselves. So I preach the gospel to everybody, which is, there's, that, there's this language again, in Christ Jesus. In, you know, there's a King Jesus version of the Bible. I haven't read it, but they changed everywhere where it says Christ, which means anointed one, which means king. They translated it King Jesus, which is in King Jesus with eternal glory. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. I call that revival. But the Jews inside the prominent women... The prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. So if we can't shut them down, if we can't, you know, if we can't, opposition won't stop them, then let's get the government involved and persecute them. So they get the government involved. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from their district. Problem solved, right? Wrong. 
But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them, and they went down to Iconium. We'll, we'll get to Iconium next week. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Whoa, whoa, hang on just a second. These people just heard the gospel for the first time last week. And we're already calling them disciples. Because, I mean, I remember years and years and years ago, I was attending the Baptist church in my hometown. And the Methodist church in my hometown, they had a, they had a, a Bible study called Disciple that lasted for a whole semester of school. And I thought, I want to be a disciple. So I went over there with all of them. I was the only Baptist with all the Methodists, and I went through their disciple program all the way through because I thought, when I got through, I, now I'm going to be a disciple. I didn't realize that disciples, see, I always thought disciple, that you're saved, you're convert, you're Christian, and the upper level is disciple. It's not true. This is synonymous. Saved, converted, you're disciple, follower of Jesus. One week later, they referred to them as the disciples. And listen, the guys that just brought this great revival just got kicked out of town. I mean, shouldn't somebody be out there going, man, this isn't fair. No, no, look at this. It said they were filled with joy. And why were they filled with joy? Because they were filled with something else. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to be filled with joy. Happiness is all determined by what happens to you. Joy is all connected to your relationship with Jesus. Nothing can shake your relationship with Jesus, so nothing can shake your joy. Oh, you may, your happiness may go up, your happiness, but your joy, you'll always experience. There's a joy unspeakable, full of glory. Remember that old hymn? There's joy that even when we're at our greatest loss and life is at its hardest, there's still joy inside our hearts. You know what this joy is? This joy is in the kingdom. You can't be in the kingdom of God and not be experiencing joy. Okay? So whenever we come in and rant and rave and preach so hard that my vocal cords get raw and I can't hardly really talk anymore, why am I so excited about this? Now listen, I want to tell you something. I don't, I don't go out there in the back and pray and say, man, I really got to punch it harder. This, man, I mean, when this is all going through my mind and I'm, and I'm thinking about it, I'm, I don't ever think I'm going to raise my voice. <laughs> so the reason that I'm passionate about this is because not only have I experienced the life transformation that, I'm, that, that comes from this, but I've seen it in other people too, and that gets me excited because when I come out here to you, I'm like, I want you to have this. And that's why it explodes like this. Because I want you to experience this joy. Because some of you are suffering greatly right now. Tremendous suffering right now is in your life. I mean, maybe, you know, I mean, you came in here and you're hoping that, that some way, somehow or another, that, that, you know, God will see me and he'll get me out of this suffering. Like, there's no promise on that. But here's what I can tell you. Is that he will comfort you through your suffering. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. He's close to the broken heart and to the humble. See, some of our greatest struggles in Christianity today is we've got some very prideful people that are running the show. And God opposes the proud, but he draws close to the humble. So if you're sitting here this morning and say, man, I got it all together. I'm good. I'm in, all that kind of stuff. Man, be careful with that. Because before the end of this day is over with, one of the most loving things that God may do is put you on your face where all you can do is cry out for his help. 
And that is a loving thing that he would do in that. So let's talk about joy for a minute because we're about to take communion again. Let's talk about the kingdom and joy. Because sometimes I believe that we can have joy infusions. Some of y'all, y'all get vitamin infusions and stuff like that. I believe we can have joy infusions, okay? So let me, let me explain to you how I would define this. Joy is infused into my life when I enjoy the good gifts of the kingdom with gratitude and recognition to the King Jesus, who is the giver of all good things. Hmm. So can I, can I tell you where I get joy infusions? Some of y'all right now, y'all are in church, and y'all looking at the preacher, and y'all are expecting me to say that my joy infusion happens when I read my Bible, when I pray, when I worship. You're like, oh, yeah, it's good preacher talk. So so here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll move away from that, and I'll tell you some other places where there's joy infusions. There's joy infusions when early in the morning... When my wife and I walk out the door and we go for a walk and I hold her hand and the sun's coming up and the skies are blue and we were thanking God and I look up at that blue sky, those little clouds, and I think, ah, oh, the kingdom of God's a beautiful place. And I hold my wife's hand and I think, oh, the kingdom of God, the two are becoming one. It's a beautiful place. There's an infusion of joy that goes into my heart. Whenever... Whenever my, my little granddaughter comes to me and she has, in first grade, she's written a note and it says, I love you, Papa, so much. And I put that up over my computer and every time I look at it, like there's an infusion of joy that goes into my heart. And then when the little granddaughter, when she comes over and she kisses my cheek and she tells me she loves a joy infusion. When, when, when my son comes to my door and he knocks on my door and he opens the door and I say, what do you want? And he says, I want to show you this piece of paper. And I take the, peep, the piece of paper, and the paper is straight A's. Joy infuses into my heart. See, that's kingdom joy. Are you with me this morning? It's all good. These are all good gifts from the Father. Would you please stand this morning?